Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have a special guest with us, uh, Andrew Isker. He is the pastor of Fourth Street Evangelical Church in Waseca, Minnesota, and the author of The Boniface Option, A Strategy for Christian Counteroffensive in a Post-Christian Nation. Oh, welcome, Andrew. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's good to chat with you, uh, um, uh, not face-to-face because my internet connection won't allow video, but uh, it's good <laughs> to chat with you nonetheless. Oh, so, wonderful. Yes, it, thank you for having me. Yeah. So what I want to chat with you today is about is obviously your book, um, Luther in his Heidelberg Disputation from 1519 talks about comparing a theologian of the cross to a theologian of glory. He says the theologian of the cross calls a thing what it is. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just states what he sees with his own two eyes and I think of all the things that your book does, uh, this is like one of the strongest things that it just states unequivocally what we're seeing unfold in terms of the idolatry of our age. And I'm sure this is one of the things that you get most of the pushback on, like you're not, you're not winsome, or couldn't you say it nicer, or <laughs> you know, it's no wonder everyone hates him. Look how look how much he. Uh, uh, speaks ill of things, but you call a thing what it is. Why do you think that's so necessary to do in our day? Yeah, I, I think um, a big reason why it's so necessary is that hardly anyone is doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there are certainly reasons for that, why why so few people do uh, call things what they are. And, I mean, some of it, I am in I am in Minnesota. I'm from, I'm born and raised here. I'm in my hometown. And particularly here, uh, this is, you know, this is Lutheran country. So I'm sure your audience, you know, there's probably many people from my state, maybe even nearby that, that listen to your show and they, they understand the, the cultural attitudes that we have here where everyone is nice. You need Mm -hmm. to be nice. And the, the greatest ethical, um, you know, commandment, uh, the greatest uh, <laughs> among people here is you need to be nice. You need to be mm-hmm. nice. And, and I resist that because I, I, I read the Bible. I see, I see in the gospels, Jesus is not very nice mm-hmm. um, most of the time. Most of the time, I mean, if you actually read, I mean, people read it through this lens, right? They read the gospels through this lens that Jesus is just this sweet, nice guy. You know, you see the paintings, especially at many Lutheran churches uh, where you have, uh, um, you know, Jesus there. There's the little lambs and a bunch of little kids and he's, he's just, he's hugging them and, and he's he's just so nice. He's so sweet and gentle. And, but then you read the gospels and everywhere Jesus is going, he's picking fights with people. He is, Mm -hmm. he's arguing with people. He's condemning people. And I, we, we don't do that because it's, it's not nice. You're not allowed to, to do that. You're not allowed to say anything that might be perceived as offensive. 
and you know it it, 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 it the great irony of course is and I, I don't have to tell you this but you read luther <laughs> and <laughs> He's he's much more like Jesus was in the Gospels uh, yeah, than than our our modern, you know, very polite, very nice uh, sensibilities, and and so yeah, I I mean that's one of the criticisms I've I've had with my book, and I, I'm sure you've read uh, Rod Rear's mm-hmm. review of my book, and that that's really what what sticks in his craw is, well this is this this is just a young guy that's full of hate. He uses mm-hmm. the word hate and disgust. And, and things like that all the time in the book. And, and it's like, yes, I, I am not happy with our current, you know, political and cultural and, and social arrangements. And the better question is why don't you feel the same way I do about right. it? Rodrier or any, any other critic of, of the book? Why, do, why, why doesn't it fill you with, with, with some kind of thumos about <laughs> all the things that are so insane about our world. And it's, and, and I think the reason why is many people are very comfortable, right? Many people yeah, they see it, they see the drag queen story hour. They see, I mean, even, even here, I, I live in a very conservative part of Minnesota, but just, just yesterday there, the next town over Owatonna, uh, there was a school board meeting where they, um, they have this policy where, guys dressed as as girls could use the girls locker room and and there's a only one school board member that said hey that maybe that's not right and there's a huge giant debate over it it's like this is this is this is right next door to my little town mm-hmm. uh this is these things are unavoidable it's not just in places like san francisco or new york city or or, or wherever you know chicago um it is it is in our communities it is totally unavoidable now and you need to ask questions about how did it come to this? How did it get to this point? It didn't. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't just have a normal, stable, healthy, well-ordered society that one day decided now we want to, you know, chop the genitalia off of children, mm-hmm. right? That that didn't come out of nowhere. And so much of the book is is recognized. Okay, we've reached this point of just sheer, utter moral insanity. And how did it get to this? What things did did we not hate? that we should have hated and fought against 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, or even longer. And that's, you know, that that's largely, especially the first half of the book. That's what it's about. That's yeah. what um, it, it's trying to reinvigorate this spirit of, and, and especially I, I just think about it. You know, I, I, I went to college to study history and I, I've always been fascinated with history and, and learning about the past and I, I think about our forebears, both in in this country and you know on the continent of Europe. Um, you know, especially you know men during the the time of the Reformation. I'm 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 Reformed, um, so I'm not Lutheran, but uh, but of course I have uh, a, obviously a, a tremendous amount of respect for mm-hmm. for for Luther and Melanchthon and, and so we'll forth. We'll pray for you. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but I, 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 I read these guys, I read how they, they spoke, how they thought. And I, I think about if they're transported to our situation today, mm. right? How would they think? What would yeah. they say? Right. What would, what would Martin, you'd take Martin Luther to the year 2023, right? He's able to speak English. And what would he say here now today in, in our country? Would he be a nice, polite, a uh, good little Lutheran uh, church boy, or would he be full of fire and brimstone? I think the yeah. obvious, the answer is just absolutely obvious how he would, yeah. what he would be like. I, I think about my own like great, great grandfather. 
he was a a German reformed minister. And I think, what would he say about life today? Would he just be just sweet and gentle, or he he would would fire be coming out of his eyeballs, you know? And I think it's the latter. I think yeah. we need to become more like those men. There is a stream of indifference that is running through our society, and in particular within, I think, many of our churches. Like yeah. we we we. We don't really know what to love and we don't really because we don't know what to love, we don't know what opposes it that we should begin fighting against and hate. Could you talk a yeah. little bit about maybe how did this indifference happen? I mean, was it just because it was far away and it was on the, you know, the weird coasts, the left coasts that mm-hmm. it seemed like or it was a way in, you know, for my folks it was in chicago or it's in you know the twin cities mm-hmm. for you yeah. but it just was removed and we just were like oh we can keep on existing how we are and not worry about it or what do you think led to that kind of indifference uh, i mean i think some of it is that is that i mean where i live on it sounds like where you live too is is kind of the shire you're right <laughs> we live in the shire and um, life is pretty good. It's not great. And, and, and people understand that it's, it's gotten worse. Like the, the, um, in the, in the Midwest over the last 20 or 30 years, you know, my town, it's, it's larger employers, big plants and, and factories and, and, and things like that have all closed down. Mm. Um, so all of the pretty good paying jobs that regular people could get have just evaporated. Uh, there's far more drug use and, and alcoholism, than there was. I mean, that's, that makes up the entire arrest sheet in the newspaper is, is, you know, drugs and DUIs and things like mm-hmm. that, uh, that were far less common when I was, when I was a kid growing up here. And, and so, and, and you just see it driving around. There's just, there's a lot more poverty. There's a lot more houses that are not maintained and, and run down there. Things are, things are, are bad and people feel it. Uh, but it, but it's still, it isn't like, the twin cities. It isn't like Chicago. It isn't like New York city or San Francisco or Portland Mm -hmm. or something. And so you don't, you don't see it to that same degree. So you think you're, you're, you're safe by comparison, right? You think Mm -hmm. you're in the Shire, all the bad things are out there. They're not coming to us. But even in the last year, like the local high school had a, you know, choir teacher that is non-binary and they had to call this, they, they told the the students, you have to call her mix, whatever. And, and and if you don't, you're going to go to the office and be disciplined. And I'm thinking like, all right, I went to that high school. Uh, if I was in there, I would call her miss and I would make mm-hmm. them take me to the office every single time. Like that's what I would do. And maybe that's just because I'm me um, and I'm, I'm just antisocial or something. But, um, but I, I think it is, it, it's some of that. It's, it's, it's that we, we think we're insulated, but I, I think some of it too is, is that we've, we've still, we've enjoyed a tremendous degree really um, an unprecedented level of, of affluence uh, that isn't just um, the, the wealthiest people in the country, but really regular people that we had a, a, a real middle class that enjoyed um, 60 years of prosperity since the Second World War that mm-hmm. is uh, uncommon in the history of the world. Yeah. Um, people lived so well. Um, my, my grandparents, my parents, even, even me and my youth – um, we had so much, we had so much abundance and, um, and, and so, and, and some people still, uh, enjoy that, especially if you've, if you've done well, if you've, if you've you know, worked hard and gotten a good job or built a business, um, it's very easy when 
when life is pretty good, Mm -hmm. right? For you personally, you're able to go on vacations. You're able to, you know, do things that you like um, to think, well, things aren't that bad, right? Things aren't that bad because life's good for me. So things aren't that bad. I mean, yeah, there's some craziness going on, but, but my life's pretty good. And, and so there's a a certain uh, degree of short-sightedness that that people have. And and some of it is just, if you're born into um, economic prosperity, you assume that that is the baseline condition for all of humanity, or at least for all of American history. And, and so it comes as a shock when you discover that's not the case and Mm -hmm. that is, that's quickly going away. And, and, and so that, that I think accounts for a lot of it is, I mean, there's the, uh, the quote, maybe I even used it in the book. I have to, I have to go back and reread my own book, but, uh, the quote by the the early Puritan Cotton Mather, yeah. where he says, "Faithfulness begot prosperity, and the yeah. daughter consumed the mother," and that is what has happened to America. Like you, you ask the question, what is what, what's happened uh, over the last sixty years? It's that we were able to live high on the hog collectively, and uh, I mean, it, it's it's biblical too. I mean, this is where Mather gets it. You know, um, the. You know, Moses says this in the law that uh, my own hands have gotten me this wealth. You're going to live under your own vine and fig tree and say that it's it's I'm the one that that did this, and then you're going to um, you're going to turn away from God and, and and worship idols, and that that same process has played out here. Yeah. That we thought, well, um, you're I was born on third base and I thought I hit a triple, and. <laughs> And so, um, you know, that, that is, um, that, that has been, um, the way most of our people have, have viewed things is you're, you're born like history starts when you're born for a lot of people. And there is no recollection of life being very difficult and hard. Mm -hmm. And, and so you, you think, well, life is good for me personally, economically, and I don't have to worry about the, the crazy things happening. Um, that that's, I think that's, that's a great degree of it. I mean, so many, so many of these changes, I don't know if you've, you've read or, or talked about, um, you know, like Christopher Caldwell's book, age of entitlement, mm. but I think he, he goes into the, the historical process really from the 1960s of, of what created wokeness, right? Where yeah. did it come from? And, and so much of it is like, he talks about the seventies, the eighties, nineties, and why didn't people fight these things? Why, why was, why did, why did this process just move seemingly inexorably? And, and you, you look at it and you think about the economic situation in, in, in those times, even though there were, there were hard times. I mean, you know, my parents will tell me about how they had to, you know, pay 20% interest rates on, on their first home in the eighties right. um, and, and things like that. Okay. There, there certainly were hard times for sure. In the mid nineties things, there was a brief period where things were pretty bad, but overall it was really good. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so when, when things are good, people don't, people don't care so much about, uh, the deeper political and cultural changes and, and revolutions that are happening around them. And, and so I think that's, that's part of a lot of it. And, but things are beginning to change. You can only have your head in the sand for so long. Yeah. And I, I really do think that the trans stuff is the thing that's causing people to pop their head out of the sand yeah. and look around and think, oh, Maybe it is worse than than I thought it was. Yeah. Right? Maybe there are some things I should hate. Um, and even the the, the Midwestern uh, sensibilities about being nice uh, start to get put on the back burner. Uh, mm-hmm. People kind of are, are almost willing to uh, repress that a little bit. And yeah. and so that's yeah you know, that's you know, largely with this book 
what I'm trying to do is no, you should be angry. It's okay to be angry about things that are evil and bad and, and, um, oh, so awful yeah. that, uh, it's, it, it's insane to not be angry about them. Mm-hmm. It's insane not to, to hate them. Um, and that's, that's really what I'm trying to do with the book. So you use the image of Boniface, um, who, at least for Missouri Synod Lutherans and probably Lutherans in general, kind of has a love, we have a love-hate relationship with Boniface. Um, <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, because uh, we love that he made Germans Christian, but hate that he made them all papists. Um, <laughs> but uh, There weren't really many other options in the 8th century, unfortunately. No, but, you know, he was a real lover of the papacy as opposed to, you know, oh, yes. some of the yeah. some of the other um, missionaries to the barbarians, particularly once you get to England or Ireland, were not nearly as closely tied uh, as yes. Boniface was. So so he he never made it into our commemorations early on because because of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, uh, in reality, you know, what he did uh, in chopping down donors or oak uh, is, you know, what so many of even the good Kings didn't do throughout the old Testament. Yeah. Like you read throughout the old Testament, it's like, no matter how long they were in office, you hear, and he did not take down the high places. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is this so helpful for us to begin looking at what we see right in front of us as a distinction between that which is faithful and that which is idolatry. Why is that so important? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think that is, it, it's important because, I mean, it is I mean, worship and, and, and loving God is, is central to all of life. I and mean, this is why God created the world, why he created humanity. And, and so if you can't draw those distinctions or if you can't, point these things out, then, then you're going to end up, yeah, like, like Israel, right. Yeah. With, with these, these Kings that, uh, that did not cut the idols out. And it, I mean, what ends up happening, it, God was incredibly patient with them for hundreds of years. <laughs> and finally, uh, the, the clock ran out. Right. Yeah. And, uh, despite Josiah's, um, reformation, um, that only delayed it. Uh, by a generation. And, and, and so we're, we're facing the same things and it's, it's, I mean, history moves in the same way because it's the same God and a, a people fall to idolatry and for, for all the same reasons, right. It's the, and it's the same things like why, I mean, that's a thing I, I remember, you know, thinking a lot about um, when I was, you know, when I was uh, studying for ministry and and shortly thereafter, it's just, just trying to put myself like, like I spend just hours thinking as I'm reading through these passages in you know First and Second Kings, and think put myself in the position of these people. Right? Why would they do this? Right? Why would I mean it seems so foreign to us? Like why would you 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 have God right there? Right? You have the temple. You can worship Him. Why would you worship these idols? Yeah. Um, why would why would they do that? And then you you begin to think. Well, it's because these idols gave them things they wanted, right? Why mm. would you you know, burn your children to Molech? And it's like, well, because they would see the Canaanites around them and see other people doing it. And all of a sudden they had prosperity that you didn't have. Um, and the, the idols, the idols worked. That's why the <laughs> yeah. idols, they, they, they gave you the things they wanted. And so, 
I look at our own contemporary situation. Like, why do people worship Mammon? Right? Why do people worship Molech? Why do they? Why do they? Um, why are they so? I mean, in, in my own state, it was it was crazy this year. The the uh, abortion laws they passed, where it's um, right up until birth, like you can. Mm. You could kill a baby as it's coming out of the womb in our state, and um, now as of this year, and and I'm and I'm watching this debate. I got to go to the state capitol and and um and testify against it, and the people at that this meeting, I mean, they were they were so rabid and and so insanely devoted to this idol, mm-hmm. and I think why what what drives this? And it's well because this is this is the thing that gives them what they want. Right, they want to be free from from children and the duties and responsibilities of of uh, parenting children, so they can have uh, their treats, so they can have uh, limitless uh, consumer uh, goods and and entertainment and, and whatever else they want. They want to be able to devote their lives totally to themselves. Yeah, and and it, so it's 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 no different. It's it's totally the same as as it was you know, 3000 years ago. Yeah. So uh, that, that is, you know, when I think about the question of idolatry and it, and then you, you look at it and you think about it along those lines. Um, so rarely does the church talk about it in this frame, right? In this, in this framework, it we'll we'll talk about abortion and that it's a, it's sin, it's murdering babies and things like that. But we don't think about it from the, the broader sociological impact of it, that it, that it literally is child sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, of course that's just one example of it. You see this with, with money and finances and what, what people do um, in their lives, how they devote their, their lives to just making as much money as they can in order to uh, con- consume more. Yeah. Um, and, and this drives our entire society. I mean, I talk about this in the book that like, why has, why has feminism, uh, taken off and and why is it, it it's such an integral part of of our society well it's because if you double the workforce right if you you don't have a traditional you know natural family where where it had always been for almost all of human history where you have you have a household and right. uh, fathers work and mothers rear children you don't have that well you could double the workforce right you can mm-hmm. have two incomes now and so you can have more stuff and, and you can you, a bigger house. You can, yeah, exactly. More fun. You can do whatever you want. And, uh, and the GDP goes up, right? Because you have twice as much productivity as you used to have. And so like, oh, there's tons of incentives for that, but you don't realize the costs, right? You see the, you see the benefit of it. You don't, the costs are a lagging indicator. You don't see the destruction of the family. You don't see. Um, you know, children uh, raised in in single parent households. You don't see the the sociological destruction that that comes a generation or two later. And so we're we're now seeing this, right? We're now seeing what has happened to our society, where yeah, where where marriage is um, is not highly esteemed. It is the laws have made it such that you know um, you can divorce your husband. Usually, that's what it is: is eighty percent of of divorces are initiated by women. Mm-hmm. And so they can divorce for, for any reason they want to. I just didn't like the guy anymore. Right. That, that could, that's a valid reason and legally. And so there are so many children uh, raised in broken homes. They don't have a household that they're raised by. They don't have a father uh, around. And it is, it is so you know, deleterious to a, to a healthy society. And, and we, everybody sees it. Everybody knows these things. 
but you know, you're not allowed to talk about it. You're like, you can't uh, say the reasons why it's become this way, right? You yeah. can't, you, you can't uh, go down those roads because it will offend people, make people upset uh, because they like their things. They like having two incomes. They like having stuff. And, and it's to the point now where the economic prosperity has dwindled so much that many people, that's the only way they could survive is right. having mom and dad both work. Um, so, you know, some people be like, but I have, you know, it's like, oh, no, I get, I get the state that people are in and, and where things are at today economically. Um, and they, that's the trap that they've set for us, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they've done is, uh, yeah, it used to be, oh, well, it's a convenience. It's, it's a thing that you know, make some extra money and it's nice. Now it is, you know, just to keep your head above water, uh, many people have to live this way. And so, yeah, all, all of it is uh, ultimately rooted in our own idolatry. We want to serve mammon. We want to serve Eros, right? We want to serve mm-hmm. Molech uh, because that is what gives us what we want, right? We want a nice, comfy life where we can have as much stuff and fun as we want. And th- those days are coming to an end uh, and, and God is bringing about that end, right? The the uh, prosperity that we've enjoyed is is being consumed by unfaithfulness, and it's not around for much longer. Um, I think that that is coming true. Yeah, I think I think you've really put your finger on something in terms of just being bold enough to call it idolatry. I mean, the people to whom Saint Paul preached and taught. Uh, they could hardly not know that they were idolaters. I mean, they had them in their pockets yeah. and, and yeah, you know, they're everywhere ar- yeah. ar- around yeah. their hearths. Um, in, in our day, you know, they're not made out of wood or stone or they're made no. out of different things, uh, but we Last still time. have it with us. And, <laughs> yeah. and in our day as well, we not only have that which is, you know, holy and biblical, uh, and that which is, you know, common and perhaps unclean or sinful, we not only have those two opposing categories, but we also mm-hmm. have something that is seemingly neutral ground, like secular. And yeah. I think that yeah. plays and toys with a lot of people. And being able to put that in a stark contrast, as you have in this book, of look, there are idols and you are worshiping demons when you go down this path. Uh, and those things need to be hated and chopped down. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it, like you said, it's much harder because it's there. It's sort of nebulous, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of, okay, when does this be verge into idolatry? Right. I mean, I, I have, I have many people where, you know, they're, they're in this situation where, yeah, where it's the, the two income trap and they're stuck there and, and they're, they're conscious that I would, I would much prefer not to have this way of life. Uh, but this is where we're at economically. And so it's like, well, okay, they're not committing idolatry. They're just trying to survive and provide for their families. But, you know, on the other hand, you'll have people, especially you look at, you know, much, you know, large um, evangelical churches. Mm-hmm. I, I think of the ones in the Twin Cities that are just, you know, 10,000 people and you you drive by on, on a Sunday and it's all, you know, Range Rovers and BMWs in the parking lot and things like that. <laughs> and I'm thinking, do they People of that, a dude? certain <laughs> age group. <laughs> Yeah. 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 It's like, do they need that? Um, and, and, and so it's, it's, it's murkier, right? It's much, much less clear. Um, so that, 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 that's, yeah, admittedly a much more difficult task. Um, and the, the question is, it revolves more around 
you know, the eternal state of people's hearts, right? Where's your, where's your heart? Do you, do you, what is the driving force behind why you do the things that you do? Why you live the way that you do? Is it uh, a duty to your family and to your children to provide for them and care for them, which clearly the Bible teaches is, is what, you know, the apostle Paul teaches is what, what should motivate you, right? These are good, holy, and, and healthy motivations that, that people have, or is it, you know, I would really like to go to Mexico a few more times and that, that there's a boat I've had my eye on. I really want to have mm-hmm. that. Like if that's the driving force, right. Then, then it's, it's, it's a little bit more obvious, right? So people have to ask, ask, examine themselves and ask, okay, am I, am, am I falling into this? Do I not hate the things that I should hate? And do I not adequately love the things that I should love? Um, yeah. And and that's I think where the the dividing line is uh, as far as idolatry goes. Um, I mean, and and you see the the term idolatry bandied about, especially by the you know big evangelical world, the mainstream evangelical world. Where I mean, they'll even talk about the idolatry of the family. Right? They talk about that, like, this is a big the idolatry of the family. And, Do we really and have it's that like, kind of problem this day? In this day? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And they'll they'll point to you know well people decide not to go to church on Sunday because they want to spend family time. It's like oh I see that yeah that's that's a problem that's bad. Um, but overall, are you insane? <laughs> like, that's, no, the 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 regime that rules over us and and enforces the our cultural mores, they hate the family. They're right. actively destroying the family. Or what do you mean idolatry of the family? That's like the, the things those people call idolatry and criticize um, is, is all within the priorities of the regime, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very easy for the you know, mainstream evangelical leadership to call anything idolatry. Well, the, well, borders, having borders, having a nation with borders, that's idolatry. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Uh, what, what? How about some things that they, those people want us to have? Are those yeah. is that idolatry? You know, no, they never they never go down those roads. And and you see this too with with the promotion of, uh, you know, the gift of singleness, right? right? The gift of singleness. Well, you have the gift of singleness, right? And and what does that mean? It means I want to continue to have fun and live like I'm in college into my mid thirties. Right. That's what I want. Um, and that they'll say that's holy. That's the gift of signals. If somebody says you should settle down and get married and have a family, that's what God wants for you. Well, that person is an idolater. That's a person that's, you know, committing the idolatry of the family. Right. Um, and so it's, it's the priorities are so backwards. It's, it's, I, I it would be comical and I, I'm, you know, chuckling a little bit about it, but it, it honestly, it's not funny. It's, it's, it's evil. It's, 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 uh, it's so abhorrent. And you think about, again, you know, back to ancient Israel, like where were the idols of Baal? They were in the temple, right? They were in the temple itself, right? Mm-hmm. They set up these idols inside the temple and around the temple. And so, well, who's responsible for the temple? The priesthood is, right? The, the, it, under, under that arrangement, the ordained ministers of, of Israel, and they're the ones set, you know, allow, at least allowing, if not setting up the idolatry itself. And mm-hmm. so where does the onus fall? Well, the you know um, judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And, and so I think a lot of it is our, our leadership has been, you know, e- either naive and unwilling to, to call things what they are, like what you mm-hmm. led, you know, the, the episode with here and, or, or just entirely complicit. Right, entirely complicit in it. It's like, well, 
Um, this is, it's good for me in my career if I just keep my mouth shut about these things. And so I'm going to, uh, why, yeah. why does it happen? In, why, why did those things happen in Israel? Why did the priesthood not, you know, they have, they're all armed with swords. Why didn't they, you know, do what, um, you know, their progenitor did in, in Exodus and start hacking people up that are committing idolatry. Why did they do that? Uh, and it's, well, it's because, um, you know, it was, it was good for them, uh, to not, right. They yeah. had, they had their, their set of priorities and it was not on protecting, uh, the people of God and the law of God. Um, that that's why. And so I, I think that's a, a major component in this is right. Who, who is responsible for guarding against, these idols, it is, it's, it's the men that God has, has ordained to ministry of word and sacrament. And we haven't protected that at all. Uh, We haven't, we, we have been negligent and uh, at at best, that's the most charitable spin I could put on it. And, and and so that's, that's the biggest thing that, that absolutely has to change. And, you know, I, I talk about this in the book that, that we need, we need leaders that are bold. We need leaders that will will tell the truth about things. And I mean, we're in, in many ways. Um, I didn't write about this in the book too much, but we're in we're in a very similar situation. Although in the chapter on worship, I did to a certain extent. Um, we're in a situation that's somewhat analogous to um, you know late medieval Christendom at the at the dawn of the Reformation, mm-hmm. and. And what I you know what I mean by that is most worship in in the American church is is honestly very similar to um, medieval Roman Catholicism, right? It, uh, people don't fully recognize this, and I, this happens all the time in in the evangelical world. Probably you probably notice this too as a Lutheran yeah. that any traditional worship forms, um, you know, traditional liturgy and things like that um, are viewed by evangelicals as like Roman Catholic light, right? Mm-hmm. They, they see it, it's like, Oh, this is, not, this is like Roman Catholicism. Well, the, the, the pastor is wearing a robe and, yeah. and has clerical garb and what? Um, and the reality is right. Um, the, the way we do worship today um, o- overall in, in America and most American Christianity where that actually still believes the Bible is you have um you have a pastor up there, you have a band and it, it puts on a performance yep. and maybe the congregation sings and participates, maybe not, but they sit there for an hour. They, they, you know, witness this religious performance that occurs and then they go home and you look at the situation in medieval Catholicism. It was the same thing. You would have a priest who would, um, who would, he he wouldn't even speak in the vernacular of the people. It would all be right. in a foreign language in Latin. Um, there was no, there were, was no sacrament, um, very uh, rarely observed. And when it was, they would only get bread. Only the mm-hmm. priest got wine and uh, there was no congregational singing or participation from the people. It was the religious professionals are putting on a show. You sit and watch and then, and you don't take it, you don't, you don't learn any Bible there because you don't even speak the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go home and, and you see this too, where what's you know, the sermon is, is maybe 15 minutes long and it'll be, you know, like a Ted talk and there won't be, there, there won't be any actual exegesis of the Bible or Bible passage or, or it'll be very trite if there is, mm-hmm. and it'll be very tenuous connection to whatever passage they read. 
And so it's just, it's this religious performance that people sit and observe. There's no, there's very little word, almost no sacrament. Maybe they, maybe they do the Lord's supper once a quarter or once yeah. a year. And, and it's, it's so analogous to uh, the way things were then. And you can, you can, you, you can see it if you, if you have eyes to see it. And so in, in that chapter, I, I, I discuss that and I say, well, the, the way out of it is recovering you know, traditional, and because I'm writing for Protestants broadly, uh, traditional Protestant uh, liturgical forms. I mean, every you know, before the 20th century, everyone had this. You know, yeah. Baptists had had a liturgy that they followed, even. Um, mm-hmm. And and so that that kind of thing has to be recovered, and and it recovers a certain uh, solemnity to a service. There's actual congregational participation when you're singing hymns together, mm-hmm. uh, when you're singing Psalms, when you are, and obviously there's participation when you are observing the Lord's supper every week. Um, yeah. and so that is, that's a, like, and, and I think about it too. What does, what does the enemy not want? What does Satan not want? He doesn't want God's people singing. He doesn't want God's people being fed the word of God and, 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 in a real meaningful way where they're digging deeply into the scriptures and learning what it means. He doesn't want them to have the sacraments, right? He wants all of that withheld. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I believe and this will probably you know resonate with your audience too, that, that, uh, um, that there's real grace that happens when you take the Lord's supper, that God is, is giving grace to his people through spiritual means. Mm-hmm. And, and if that is true, and I think it is, well, then Satan doesn't want the people to have that. <laughs> he doesn't want them communing with Jesus Christ. He wants them to have that withheld from them. And so I think some of, I mean, some of these answers are recovering worship as our fathers did a um, hundred or 200 years ago and restoring that because that, that builds people up. That, that creates a different kind of people. It creates a people that are committed to worship and worshiping the triune God and not worshiping idols in all these different ways. And mm-hmm. so how do you how do you fight the idolatry? How do you chop down these these Donner's oaks everywhere? Well, it's it's by not it's but one, yeah, chopping them down, not worshiping the things you should worship, but also loving the thing. That's the thing like Rodrier doesn't get to the part where I'm saying like this is what you should love. Right? Exactly. You should love your wife, you should love your family, you should love real worship of Jesus. You should love that stuff. Because that's that's how you chop down the idols in your own heart. I talk about that, but I guess you know it's more um, more poignant uh, for his readership to <laughs> care about this angry young man. Um, but but at any rate, like that's 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 the the stuff. Like, what's the antidote to trash world? What's loving the things that we should love and yeah. worshiping God faithfully uh, in a manner that that He prescribes not designing things for pragmatic reasons because, well, if we do a really schnazzy show, that'll bring people in, right? That, that is, that's dying. The seeker sensitive movement is, is falling by the wayside because uh, people don't want that, right? They, they, they can get entertainment in a myriad of other ways. And the only, the people that actually want to worship in a, a real, and I hate to use the word authentic, but <laughs> authentic, authentic <laughs> way um, are, are the ones that are going to do it. The ones that will yeah. be drawn to Christ are the ones that want the real stuff and not something that's tepid. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, we're always dealing with that within the Lutheran church too, you know, giving mm-hmm. up 
you know, people giving up what our forefathers have handed down to us for something yeah. new and flashy or something to that effect. Um, but I want to pick something up about the difficulty of the church actually facing these things. Uh, and I don't know what it's like in, you know, your church body or, or your communion. Um, but, you know, within the Missouri Synod, within Lutheranism in general, it's kind of come to the point where, you know, if it doesn't really affect the doctrine of justification by grace through faith and account of Christ alone, uh, revealed through his word alone, uh, then, you know, maybe it's not idolatrous or maybe it's not that big of a thing to worry about. And what I think is so poignant about bringing back the terminology of idolatry, it really does point out that even though it might be attacking something in the first article of the creed dealing with uh, how we were created or what we were to be, uh, it still Mm -hmm. does affect the doctrine of justification only uh, perhaps not on its periphery, but, but not immediately understandable or, immediately recognizable yeah the um yeah i i I mean to a certain extent in the reformed world it's 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 somewhat similar Mm -hmm. um where there at least a a large faction of people that um want to view everything through the the lens and the frame of you know 16th and 17th century uh doctrinal conflict and and so, yeah, you see that. Well, is this, you know, is, is this something that that affects justification by faith? Well, that's that's the the big E on the I chart. That's the only thing we have to worry about. But I, I would, yeah, I would maybe say, um, e- even within your own context, if you look at, I mean, to bring up Israel in in you know twenty five hundred BC or or, 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 or rather uh, five hundred BC or six eight hundred BC, get my timeline right. Um, that was was worship of Baal, you know, directly in conflict with you know justification by faith. Um, I mean, yeah, like you said, on the periphery, of course, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's not you could you could be a Hebrew that that believes that uh, well, I believe in I, I believe in the Lord, and so, um, but I'm also worshiping Baal. <laughs> You know, like, like, uh, you know, is, is that affecting it? Well, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But, but not directly in the way that we think, you know, it's not like Mm -hmm. the, um, the, the Pharisees, right. Saying that you need to, you need to keep the law in order to be, to be saved. Um, so we would not focus on that. We wouldn't emphasize it as much. And, and so, yeah, you, you see this all the time where, where it's like, well, we have, there are other categories, um, that we have to to grapple with and deal with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, yeah, the first article of, of the creed or even, you know, the first, first few commands of, of the 10 words um, that th- those are still there. Right? <laughs> those are still there that you have to deal with. Like you, you worship God alone and, and not bow down to created things. And, and of course, yeah, the context is different. We're not, we're not worshiping these demons that we've uh, fashioned idols for, in the same way, it's, it's much more oblique. It's, it's, it's much more nebula, nebulous, but nevertheless, we're, we're still bowing down before, you know, four footed things and created things. Uh, and, and so it, yeah, it becomes, it's, it's a much thornier question, much more difficult to, to grapple with in, in like a theoretical sense. Uh, but in like a practical real world earthy sense, you know, for, for pastors on the ground, um, 
you, they, they see it and get it. Like when you, when you're dealing with, um, you know, counseling situations and you have a people that, right. You have, you have a, a someone who you know, very clearly is, is living for the world and they'll say they, they love the Lord and they go to church and all of these things, but they're, they're the entire, uh, breadth and depth of their life is, is their love of trash world. Right. And everything, every decision they make is, is, is through that filter. Uh, what, uh, you know, what are you to say there? <laughs> you know, if, if you have to, uh, walk through the lens of, of justification, right. I, I think that that becomes much more difficult. And so, yeah, I, I, uh, I sympathize with you <laughs> because, um, so much of it, I mean, so much of it is wanting to fight the exact same battles that our forefathers fought when we were in a different situation in a different context where it's not as though those things don't matter. I don't want people to, to get that right. impression, yeah. but um, our battles today are very different. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah, again, you raise Martin Luther from the dead or you raise John Calvin from the dead and right. He's not going to be writing so much about the papacy today. Right. Right. He's not going to be condemning the papacy, uh, like like I mean, he, he would. He would not be a fan of Francis, right. <laughs> but uh, he would. Uh, it would be, it, but it would be within the frame of of, of fighting trash world, right? The, it'd be uh, Pope Francis is trying to push uh, all of these, push homosexuality and all these things. Uh, that that would be the frame which would be fought. Um, it would be. It, it would, it would, that's, that's the fight at our doorstep, right? We're, we're in a position today where, I mean, I, I see this in the reformed world where there was, um, I'm sure you're familiar with, um, Amy Bird or maybe, maybe not. That's maybe only a reformed, uh, thing, but Amy Bird wrote this book about feminism and, and I think it was like, why, why can't we be friends or something like this? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of make it a soft case for, um, not necessarily women's ordination, but everything short of that, right? Yeah. So and essentially, women's ordination. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. And it, it, yeah. it is incrementalism, isn't it? I mean, oh, yeah. They know how to run the playbook for sure, and and so there's this huge push for. I mean, you see this in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, which they push back on strongly and uh, commendably uh, this last year. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's this huge push in the evangelical world, broadly speaking, of of uh, pushing women's ordination and feminism and so forth. And so, yeah, she wrote, wrote this book and, and anytime anyone would attack it, attack her views and attack what she was saying, um, all the people on her side, and she was, I think in the OPC at that point, um, said, well, she's a member in the, in good standing of the, you know, the Orthodox Presbyterian church. And, um, you can't, you can't condemn her and, and nothing, and nothing that she is saying is in violation of the Westminster confession of faith. And it's like, okay, uh, but the Westminster divines in the 1600s, they, they did the, the question in front of them wasn't what is a woman, right? Today, we don't even know what a woman is, right? We, you, you, you ask, uh, <laughs> like the, you ask like, what, what exactly is a woman, right? Are there differences between men and women and, and people, um, even if, even if, even not on the trans issue, right? Well, what, what can a woman do and not do? Right. What, what does the Bible say about that? And I was like, well, you know, um, they can do anything and unor, um, and unordained, um, 
unordained man can do. Right? That's the that's the big line that they they go with, and um, it's like, well, no, there's actually a distinction between men and women that that was implicitly understood in the in the you know 17th century when they wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith. Like all of those men then, they understood that they lived in that world, and our world is very very different, and we're confronted with much different issues than than they are. And, and so, I, I mean, that's, that's the, the big picture is we can't just go back to, you know, the 1600s to answer these questions. We have different challenges in front of us that they did not have, that we need to stand as resolutely as they did then with their issues. Mm. And, um, and, and so that's always the frustrating thing is, is wanting to do, and I see this in the reformed world, and maybe you see this in the Lutheran world, but wanting to do the you know, 16th and 17th century LARP and just try to pretend that, yeah, we're fighting the papacy. <laughs> it's like, that's not as much an issue anymore <laughs> here yeah. today. Um, that is, that's not the big fight in front of us. And, and because men don't want to confront the, the idols in front of us, they will pivot back to fighting the idols that our forefathers fought and bravely stand against them when, those are just paper tigers now. Those are those are you're you're building monuments to the prophets, mm-hmm. and and you're not doing the works of the prophets today. That is that's what I you know see everywhere when you mm-hmm. when, you know when you when you bring bring up well why why can't we frame it in, in just in terms of justification? <laughs> you know I see that the same the exact same uh, uh, playbook run in 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 my circles yeah too it's, and uh, it's 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 frustrating yeah it's a um i mean what what ends up being i mean it's the easy thing to do right to just oh, yeah replay those old battles but it also i mean i think it highlights something that that you do in your book um but also that chesterton wrote about you know that the soldier fights not primarily um because he hates what's in front of him but because he loves what's behind him and you bring out the idea of you know loving what's behind you will create the desire to destroy that, which is in front of you. Um, yeah. And, and I think Chesterton is, is thinking about that as well. Like this is the necessity of doing battle. You do it because you love what is behind you. And I, we live in an age that doesn't hate what God hates because it doesn't actually love what God loves. What, like in our age, what are, what, what are the things that we really need to concentrate on loving? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is the question, the million dollar question. <laughs> and it's it, in, in our age, I think it, it's, it's, you know, all many of the things we've already talked about. Um, yeah. It's, it's loving your family. It is loving your church. It's loving the Lord. It's, and it's loving th- those things that he loves as he describes in his word mm-hmm. and not necessarily, um, not necessarily the way our, our current culture configurates them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's, I mean, it's loving your, your community that is around you. It's, it's loving your nation. Um, it's, it's loving those things that are, are good and right. Uh, it's loving, you know, actual justice, um, and order that, mm-hmm. that comes with a, a Christian society and Christian people. Um, it's, it's, it's loving all of those things, these things that have gone by the wayside. I mean, things that have, um, have been intentionally removed from our society by the powers that be, 
Um, it's, it's loving those things. Um, I, I think, I think so much of it, you know, my, I don't know if I could have written this book or even if I would have thought the same way that I do, if I didn't have children and a wife, yeah. right. I, I see them and, and I love them and I'm, I'm you know mortified by the world that they are going to inherit uh, on one hand. Uh, but at, at the same time, I want to raise them up to, to hate these things, to hate, hate all of these evils and build things that are commendable and lovely and, and good. Um, and, and so like, that's, I mean, it, and it starts in, in my own life, right? You have, you have these people that God has given you that you have to care for. And because I love them, because I love my, my own congregation, um, you know, it's a very tiny little one, um, here in, in a very small town. And I, I love them. I love these people. I want, I want their lives to be good and not, not bad. I want, um, I want them to love the Lord. Um, mm. and, and so that, that's the thing that drives me, you know, and, and, and should drive all of us is like you said, like the, the Chesterton quote is, is very apt that I don't, I don't despise trash world because I'm just antisocial and I, I want to hate things. Yes. Um, I despise it because it is, it is a threat to every single thing that I love, right? Every yeah. part of my way of life, every part of, of my family and my, my children and my church and my community, it is assaulting and wants to destroy. Um, and, and, and so, right. What, what drives it? It's, it's because I, I, I love good things and I, I want these good things. Um, and I, I don't just want them for myself. I want them for all of these people. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what I, what I want and, 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 and the thing that should drive us. And I think, I mean, so much of it is again, you know, we've, we've been blessed with such tremendous prosperity and that can produce a, a certain level of narcissism in people where they just expect I should get to have good things mm-hmm. and nice things and, and, and fun things and enjoy my life. And, and that comes at the expense of duties that God has laid before you and duties that, that you should actually love, right? You should, you should, uh, love your children and not want to murder them. And, and you should be overjoyed that, that God has given you children. This is right. a great blessing. I mean, his word says this children are, are a, a blessing and their inheritance for the Lord. Right. And we despise that we despise them. And, and, and so that that's uh, some of it is just reconfiguring um, our entire mental framework and reorienting it to the way God has designed human beings to live. I mean, it, and it seems like it, it's such an insane time that you even have to like engage in that kind of conversation that actually you should love your kids. <laughs> you should love them and not, not despise them and not think of them as a, as a tremendous burden. Um, like that's, that's nuts that you even have to go there. You know, I, I'm like, some of it is just recovering um, the, and I, I talk about this and that that's, sound like a broken record. Ah, I talk about this in the book. Um, but I, I, I talk about that, that it isn't just um, a war, you know, trash world, as I described, it isn't just a war on, on Christian things, on, on things that, that are bestowed upon us by God's grace. It certainly is. It's not less than that, but it's even more than that. The, the, the natural created, you know, common grace world that God has built for all people, not even Christian, not even just Christians, that's under assault too. Um, that is something they, they want to upend and overturn. And, and you have to fight to just get people to live within the reality that God created. 
right? You have to, you have to do battle to say, okay, here's what a woman is. Here's what a man is. Here's how they're different, right? You have to make these arguments that if you, I mean, if you go back a thousand years and you, you try to explain to people um, the way our world is today, and even, even that conversation, they would, how would they react? They would think you're insane, right? They would not, they would, they would think you're a madman if you're describing the world in 2023 America today to them, mm-hmm. but we don't, you don't, they don't know what women and they don't, they, they kill their children. All the, and even though abortion is, is, is something that existed in the ancient world, no, nowhere near as widespread um, as, as it is today. They just, they just kill all their kids that, and that's what, that's how they live. Like they would think they, they, they could not conceptualize the world that we live in today. And so to bring people back to reality is, is such a, a, um, a monumental task. And, and yet that is, that's the battle. Again, that's the battle before us. That's, that's the, the fight that you have to have. And it's in, in, in many ways, very difficult, but in, in some ways, because of, it, it, a lot of ways, the analogy that I, that I stole from someone uh, who probably stole from someone else is it's, it's like you have a beach ball in the pool. And if you've ever tried to do this, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you take the beach, but this big giant inflated beach ball and you try to push it under the water and hold it under the water. And you can only do it for so long before the thing just explodes up out of the water. Well, that's what our society is very Romans one kind of thing. Um, our society is repressing, what they know about the world and keeping it under the water. But, but God's world's built the way that it is. And you can only swim upstream for so long before it gives way. And when it gives way, it's going to be really rough and really difficult for people. And what is incumbent upon us today is to get ahead of that, to see the direction things are going. And to begin telling the truth about things as God has made them now so that we have the credibility, that we have uh, the answers for these questions, and we've had them for a long time, and we've been saying them for a long time, and then people will listen to us, right? That will be – that's the conditions of that as they exist today. And I, I think the the larger culture, the larger world is is rife for – Christian revival. It might seem mm. weird to say that, but I, I think it, it absolutely is. If only we would be honest about what has brought us to this point. If yeah. only we would say the kind of things that I say in this book, then people will, will look at it and say, oh yeah, things are nuts. We need to, to go back to living in this way. That's the only way forward. And those are the answers that, that people desperately need. Yeah. And, um, and, and and so I, I think over the near future, the coming years, um, the churches, the pastors who do that, um, God is going to to bless them greatly. It's one of the things you bring up in your book early on, uh, and it might be in the introduction. It might be in kind of the the first chapter of the first section. We talk about how um, we tend to think that if we can just reason with the bug man or trash world that that if we can (laughs) just reason with them and show how, you know, the way they see the, the world actually doesn't correspond with reality, but, but scripture does. And we just have a failure to delight in assertions. Luther has this great thing in the bonds of the will. He says, it is not the mark of a Christian mind to take no delight in assertions. On the contrary, 
a man must delight in assertions or he will be no Christian. Uh, you take away assertions <laughs> and you take away Christianity. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of, that's kind of where we're at. We're, we're wanting to have a rational discourse with something that is completely irrational. Instead, yeah. we need to be as really you're, you're, you're kind of like calling us to arms, make assertions, start asserting yeah. that this is just crazy. Yeah, so. that's, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, it, it, it's especially today that, mm-hmm. that, no, we just have to assert no, this is true and right, and anybody who doesn't get that is nuts, right? Yeah. That that I think is a much uh, stronger apologetic <laughs> argument you could make today than than anything else. Is like no, uh, uh, men becoming women is crazy, and this is what God says, mm-hmm. right? You should believe it, uh, and and like that's yeah, way way better than saying well. You know, I don't know if if transgenderism is necessarily good for human flourishing, and and here's a list of ten logical syllogisms that will show you why. Like that, no, you, you're not, you're you're not dealing with with things yeah. that, like you said, can be can be argued rationally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an insane world, and yeah. and so yeah, you just you have to assert what God says, and and let the chips fall where they may. Now, where I want to chat a little bit, and we're coming up on an hour here, uh, is, you know, most people, when you kind of make the, so here's your general case for why this is trash world and why we need to chop down this this idolatrous oak. Um, We're making, uh, and on the whole and for the most part, this is what we see general and generalized argument. Most people end up kind of recoiling towards that because they have specific people in mind. Mm-hmm. Do you, obviously you still need to make assertions even to those specific people, but does the, um, does the way or the manner, you know, the, the tone as is often <laughs> used today, does the tone change then to that actual individual and, and dealing with a specific person, not a general situation? Oh yeah, I think so. I yeah. think you know if you're dealing with you know a relative or a, a friend or, or something, um, of course you know you go from the general to the specific, and mm-hmm. and of course it's, the context is different. Um, and so when I've you know, personally you know dealt with different issues, that is the the tack I, I I generally take. Where you don't, and it doesn't mean you're backing down on the things you're asserting. It simply means. Um, you know, being gentle with a person in front of you and trying to win the person if you can, mm-hmm. um, versus versus just writing them off. You know, just yeah. saying, "Well, oh, you're nuts," and here, and I don't care. Um, I mean, that's that's largely today what what uh, you know people in the grip of trash world do, yeah. where oh, if you don't accept my lifestyle, if you don't accept what I what I am then I'm writing you out of my life. I'm mm-hmm. not going to have this negativity. So they, they, they already do that for you. Um, but I, I think on, on one, on one hand, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, um, you, you shouldn't just write people off and write them out. Um, if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, that doesn't mean that you can't speak frankly and honestly, Correct. well, at the same time, or, or that you should be afraid to. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. 
are afraid. I mean, you get to the question of, I mean, so many people have to deal with this today where it's like, well, what if I get invited to my gay cousin's gay wedding? What, what do I do? Uh, it's go. like, well, you just, you politely <laughs> decline to go. <laughs> That's an easy one. Um, and, and it's like, well, if they have any respect for you, they will, um, they will be okay with you not approving of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that like you have to draw clear lines with people, yeah. um, and, and create boundaries, right. These, these very clear moral boundaries of what is and isn't okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that, that I think is a lot of it and, and, and any of these other issues, right. When you talk about, when you talk about feminism and things like that, you'll have, you'll have friends, you know, you know um, you'll, your, your wife will have friends will think you are just this insane, evil misogynist that hates women. And, and you have to calmly, patiently, um, you know, deal with, deal with these arguments and issues. And, and mm-hmm. some of it is, it's just, I mean, on, on that issue, um, you just, you, <laughs> you live your life and they can see the joy that, that your wife has in her, in her household and raising, raising your family and, and you providing for her and all of these things and how good her life is compared to their life. Mm-hmm. And the proof will be in the pudding. Some of it is you just have to, you know, uh, fall back on that, right? Some, a lot of the time you just don't even have the argument because it's going to be fruitless, but in the, in the specific situations, yeah, it's, it's a lot of it is just that is living your life faithfully, letting people see the evidence of it being a very, very good life. And, and it's sometimes, um, that is, that's the thing that wins them over. I mean, I remember, um, when I was pastoring, I I was going to a gym and, uh, two of my, two of my buddies at the gym there, um, they, uh, they're, they're not, you know, Christians or at least church going people. They would maybe say they believe in God. Um, they, they came over to my house and mm-hmm. they're sitting there and, you know, my, my wife is making us dinner and I'm, you know, just sitting there like, Oh honey, can you, can you go grab me a beer? And can, Oh, do you guys want one too? Can you grab them? some? and, and she's like, Oh, oh sure. Yep. Uh, and like, Oh, we need some napkins. Can you grab the, you know, cause she's over in the kitchen working on stuff. And, and I'm sitting and, and visiting with these guys and they're like, jaws are at the floor. You just ask your wife to do things and she <laughs> cheerfully does them and says, yes, honey. Okay. Like it was, it felt like for them, like they were transported into like the 1950s, leave it to beaver, you know, world. Right. And I mean, these, these guys are both, you know, now divorced and uh, hopefully, hopefully I'm not too, uh, I'm not, <laughs> not betraying their confidence with this story, yeah. but uh, they, uh, they did not have that in their lives at all. Anything mm-hmm. remotely like that. I mean, it was, it was shocking to them to see a wife whose husband asks her to do stuff and she just does it. Um, they, you know, cause the, their wives would be like, get your own darn, you know, beer, you know, or whatever. Like that would be the response. <laughs> the response. <laughs> like they could, they could, they could literally not fathom anyone living that way uh, at all. And, and so this, it was, um, it was remarkable for them to, to, yeah. to see that. Um, and so of course, you know, if their wives had been there, they would be equally shocked by it, but angry. <laughs> like, oh, look how he treats his wife. Uh, he's, she's his slave. Um, but, uh, you know, the proof is, is in the pudding. Here's this, um, this, this happy, 
a cheerful woman who loves her life and loves her children and loves her household. And, and you, you just see the joy in this place. For me, it was like, well, I, of course that's that. I didn't even, I, it, I didn't even notice it. You know, it doesn't, doesn't even register. And so it was good for me to see that like, Oh, I have a pretty good, I have a really good yes, wife. That's right. Um, and, uh, and, but like those kind of things, right. Those are the kind of things that I think when you look at the particular um, is, is people can see that, right. They can yeah. see that, okay, yeah, it's not good. You know, life isn't perfect and you're, there's still going to be conflict in your household. Like you're, you, you still, even if your, your wife is not a feminist, uh, you're still going to have arguments. <laughs> you're still going to have fights. Uh, but uh, life overall is just so much more pleasant and good and mm-hmm. so much better for both of us. And, um, and that is, um, is such a stark contrast with, with the way, people live today that it's it is attractive right it is immediately attractive to people eat much, much more easily for men today than, than women uh but even even for for women seeing that oh like they, they'll see the things you know i'm not gonna brag about myself but like they'll see the things that i'll do for my wife and my kids without being asked you know that you're mm-hmm. a dutiful husband as well and think why can't you be that way you know things things like that where um that is that is what we have to do. Um, you know, that's what we have to uh, do in our own lives is provide this external obvious evidence that this way of life is just is so much better, right? Uh, so much better for everyone that then it becomes undeniable. Then the mm-hmm. only reason anyone would hate you is just because they are, are just seething and loathing, <laughs> loathing things that are good. And, and it's out of this petty resentment um, that that's, what changes culture, um, mm-hmm. I, I think is, is people actually seeing it done. Um, I had, I had the privilege of, of, um, studying for, for three years in, in Moscow, Idaho. And I think you've had, um, Doug Wilson on, on before here. On yeah. The show. He's coming yeah. on again. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the community there, I mean, it's a very large church and that is, that's the way that everybody pretty much lives. They have actual households where, you know, husbands and li- wives uh, live together well and, and, and work together rather than against each other. And, and they love each other and their, their homes are, are these places that are just filled with joy. And, um, and it's funny because it's in, the, they're in this, you know, very liberal college town mm-hmm. and the liberal people like resent them. <laughs> <laughs> they, hate them. they hate that. They hate that about the, their way of life there, and and it is. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's this resentment that's like grudging. It's like um, they wish they could have something like that, and they don't. And they know that it's good and beautiful, and they hate it all the more. <laughs> and so, but it it, it is such a, an attractive uh, community there that that exists that it's just simply undeniable. Right, people can't mm-hmm. deny that it's that it's good, and uh, that I think is the the way forward. Right, you you talk about how do you fight you know trash worlds like building places like Moscow, Idaho, that are 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 so different from the way trash world operates mm-hmm. that um, that people simply cannot deny how much better life is living the way that God wants us to, um, and so. That is, that's, I guess, how I would deal, you know, how I deal with the, the particular and the general. And you, you see this with Doug too, where I, I saw this personally, um, 
where he'll talk, he would talk from the pulpit and in, in, in his blog and in different public venues uh, about homosexuality and about cultural issues. Mm-hmm. But I would also see him interact with, you know, homosexual people. And um, this guy was as, as congenial and kind and respectful um, as you can, you, people have this perception of, Oh, he's this angry guy. Uh, but when he would interact with people in particular situations, um, he, he was very considerate and caring and, and, and at the same time wouldn't back down on what he believes. Um, and I think that's, that also is the way to deal with particular situations, stand your ground, but, but also be, be kind and, and loving of people, which doesn't mean uh, just becoming a doormat, obviously. Right. No, that's that's really good. I think the, um, particularly as clergy, uh, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I feel like I have to speak out of both sides of my mouth. Like I have to say the general in such a stark way, so that mm-hmm. really the, the the people's minds are steeled against the things that are going to, you know, try to thwart and overrun it from trash world. Uh, yeah. And at the same time, then be able to say, look, uh, you still have to be a human being. Right? You still have to yeah. interact at a level that is, you know, not, um, uh, you know, constantly making war with people. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's kind of a strange thing to exist in, in both, both of those worlds to say, look, I'm pain- painting a picture of something that is for you so that you can uh, understand, you know, what the forces are that are against us or, yeah. or, or trying to steal away our, our innocence or our children or the good gifts that God has given us. Uh, at the yeah, same time, at, t- at the same time, you know, you can't act that way around every single person. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> no, no. And, and, and again, like people have to, like they have to go to jobs and deal mm-hmm. with, uh, people uh, that are rabidly left wing, or people that are that are homosexuals, or or um, you know promiscuous women, or whatever you know, whatever denizen of trash world that you you put up there, like they have to deal with them in 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 real life and interpersonally, and you you have to, uh, like you said, if they have if they have the foundation of well, here's what the Bible says, here's what Christians believe that I'm never going to compromise on. And that's in the background, but then you deal with the people that that exist around you um, that are in in that world. Um, then you are at least armed with the ability to to stand your ground, but but also be faithful and and generous and, and kind to people um, when that's required. And, mm-hmm. and and so that's I mean that's people are people are in trash world. They're living in it, and they have to. Um, they they have to exist and be it'd be nice if they could just you know uh hide away in their cabin and not have to you know be around this world but they, that's not an option that's available to most people they have to right. continue living within it and 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 figure out ways to navigate it absolutely yeah and if uh, and frankly if we don't interact if if we do kind of go into and lock ourselves away into like a new monastery uh, mm. that you just get steamrolled Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. monasteries That's, aren't productive in the way that we need Christians to be productive. Exactly, and that was my 
my big, I mean, why I titled the book the way I did and, and went down the road that I did. Cause you know, I, um, uh, I read Dreer's book when it came out, you know, six years ago now, it seems, it doesn't seem that long, but it, it has been. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought this is great. Like I lived in that place. I lived in Moscow, Idaho. It was awesome. And, and it'd be great if we had like 50 more places like that, but that's not enough right? That's, that is not nearly enough. There needs to, it needs to be much more widespread and it needs to be universalized where, yeah, it's good to have these, you know, Christian ghettos that we can hide away in, but we need to fight back. Yeah. And that is, that was the thing that was just sorely lacking in the book is that there is no, there's no spirit of, of, of uh, aggressiveness. There's no, there was no spirit of, of pushing back against trash world. It was just retreat, 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 and then survive somehow. And, and that's, that's, that's not going to happen. And it's Mm -hmm. the the proof is the last six years of how they've played out is if anything, the left has like since Obergefell, like the gloves have come off. Right. And they are going to continue to advance and advance and advance. And, until we gird our loins and fight back and become much, much more aggressive in combating um, them, it it's going to keep going. Yeah. And we're, we're, yeah, like you said, we're going to get steamrolled, right? Moscow, Idaho will, will be given, you know, uh, this town of 20,000 will all of a sudden there will be 10,000 migrants there, <laughs> you know, from the Biden administration or whatever. Right. Like that's what they would do, you know? And, and so like that, that can't, that's not, enough on its own um, to just create intentional Christian communities. Um, we have to create intentional Christians as well um, yeah. everywhere. Um, that That's what's needed. Yeah. Well, and you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the onslaught of Christ's church, which is, yeah. uh, that is not an image of retreat. That's an image of no. go forward. So yeah, and it's so often is used as image of retreat. It's like, well, you know, we're holed up here, but the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's like, no, like it's the army assaulting the gates. It's, it's Jericho. not the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, it's not the the gates of the church will will prevail against hell. It is us on the offensive. Right. Yeah. That's that's what happens. And so, yeah, exactly. It, it is uh, Christianity is a a martial religion. Um, mm-hmm. it is not, um, and, and not in the way people, you know, people hear that. What? Uh, not like Islam, not where we're, we're killing people with the sword in order to get them to convert, but we mm-hmm. are, we are an army that bears the, the sword of God's word and the fire of the Holy spirit. And so we have to put cities to sword and fire in, mm-hmm. in that way in a, a more real way, right? The spirit, everyone thinks the spiritual is not as real as the real world. Um, it's, it's actually much, much, much more. Um, more it real. is way more real than the than just this materialistic world. And, and, and what is the church? I mean, you look in the, in the book of revelation, what is the church? It's an army, right? It's a, it's this heavenly army waging war on the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are. Right. That's what that's what's going on when we worship is, you know, us and our even our little kids when when they're singing praise of Jesus Christ, they are ramming the gates of hell 
right? Yeah. That that's what's occurring. And that's like just orienting people around that is, is big. And that, I mean, that's why I, I talk about a little bit in the book and, and, and elsewhere singing the Psalter, right? Mm-hmm. Singing the Psalter. That's one thing, you know, I have to, I have to pander to the Lutheran audience uh, that I love about Martin Luther is even the hymns that he wrote are so obviously written by a man that's steeped in the Psalter, yeah. right? He write, wrote hymns that sound like Psalms mm-hmm. and there's a reason why it's because he, that's what he did. And this, the Psalter is this book of war songs. That's ultimately what it is. It's, it's mm-hmm. the, the war songs sung by the army of God. And when you hear them, when you read them, when you sing them, uh, it shapes and it forms your heart uh, to to think about the world the way God does, and then you begin you begin to see this this martial Christianity uh, begin to emerge. That it's it's people waging real spiritual warfare um, in every sense that that word means, and um, that is I mean so lacking today. Where yeah, we just sing songs about boyfriend Jesus and. And that doesn't, and you can, you wonder why, like, why aren't there any men in churches? Well, that's, I mean, on the list of reasons why is you know, men can't really sing that way. Um, mm-hmm. And not, I mean, there are Psalms where, where Jesus is, is uh, presented like a lover. Um, so I, I don't want to discount it entirely, but the bulk of the Psalter is Jesus as this warrior, right? Mm-hmm. The Lord is this warrior. Uh, leading his people to victory over his enemies, um, and uh, and so it's like, man, like that—that's the thing that needs to be reinstilled in in our people is is a view of warfare that we are. And if 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 not now, whenever would it be applicable? Right? Yeah. When, when when else? Uh, when when trash world is assailing us from every conceivable direction, to not want to fight it. And to yeah. not think of it as a spiritual battle that we're at war every moment of every day, um, that that's what our people need desperately. Yeah. Well, and your book does that. And we're super thankful that you put your name to something that would perhaps, you know, raise people's ire against you for the benefit, uh, not just of your congregation, but but also, you know, the church at large. So thank you for your time, Andrew. Thank you for... Uh, the knowledge that you invested into writing that book and and really putting on display kind of a, a really very helpful way forward, like what we should concentrate on loving and thus necessarily what we should concentrate on despising that this world would ha- hold out to us that is contrary to God's word. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. 